You're listening to Tarot Visions. You lucky devil. Hello, and welcome to Tarot Visions. I'm Rose, your host, and I am speaking today with B. Nettles. Hi, Rose. So I'm stumbling through Facebook like I do, looking at all the different groups and talks and links and all the things. And then someone mentions the Mountain Dream Tarot. And I'm like, oh, what's this? What's this? And then I go look it up. And I was like, okay, I need to talk to this person. This is an amazing deck. And again, how did I miss it? Because it's not brand new. So I want to know what inspired you all those years ago to create this beautiful deck. Actually, I had never even seen a tarot deck, and I was in graduate school at the University of Illinois my last semester. That would have been the spring of 1970. Mm -hmm. And a sculpture student knew that I was interested in symbolism in my work, and she said, oh, you should know about tarot cards. And she didn't have a tarot deck she could spare, but she showed me the weight the little book, which actually you can see because you can see with the camera, the, the pictorial key to the tarot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went on and I bought the book. And I, I didn't spend much time looking at it before I graduated. But what was inside of it were these line drawings. And I read the book and I liked the images. And I didn't think too much more about it. But I did have the book with me that summer when I went to a place in the mountains called Penland School, Mm -hmm. which I had been going to for several years, either as a student or eventually as a teacher, a photo teacher. Mm -hmm. Asheville was a cool town. It was a sleepy town at that point, but it had great thrift shops. And so I went into Asheville one day and bought myself an incredible black taffeta dress that had stars all over it. Mm -hmm. And that was a great find. It was 50 cents. The next morning I woke up. And I had the idea to model the deck and be the queen of stars. Now, I had already in graduate school, I think, made a couple of portraits of myself as the queen of stars. Stars were real special to me as a symbol from maybe a year or so before that. I had always put stars on everything. So I became the queen of stars and I made a portrait of myself, which eventually did end up being used as the queen of stars in the deck with the self-timer and my black and white camera. I guess already I had decided in my mind to make a tarot deck or to try to make a tarot deck photographically. And I was up to the challenge, and it was a challenge because in those days, and this is really hard for people today to wrap their brains around, but if something was on fire, it was on fire. It had to be on fire. If something was flying through the air, you either threw it through the air or you somehow faked it in some way or another. Mm -hmm. And you know how complicated some of the cards can be. There's lots of animals. There's distinctive-looking people. There's costumes. There's all sorts of bizarre events going on and locations and so forth. So that was the challenge. It was like a big scavenger hunt. But I was in a good place to do it. I was in this in this crafts school with lots of interesting people around me who were game. And I don't remember the first day shoot, but I at least approached a couple of people. And it was really kind of fun. 
I used a two and a quarter camera, which gave you 12 shots to a roll of film. Mm -hmm. And they were large negatives. And I would process the film and see if I got it, you know, got one I could use. And then I proceed to find the next model, the next setup. And people were helpful and imaginative. And obviously some people there knew more about cards than I did. But anyway, I was there quite a bit that summer. I was actually killing time between graduate school and my first teaching job, which was in Rochester, New York, that fall. So I was in transition between Illinois and New York State. And Penland very graciously let me live there the whole summer in exchange for sweeping floors and doing various kinds of chores and teaching and odd jobs. It was before they had any kind of formal assistantship kind of program. So there I was, the people all around me, and this was the project I started. Now, that's a really long answer, but that is how it came to be called the Mountain Dream Tarot, because I do think I dreamed it up between buying the dress and the next morning and having the book with me, which which was inspiring. Definitely. And again, for some of you who don't know what she's talking about, cameras, Film. These things still (laughs) exist. Go look them up. Google. It's a wonderful thing. (laughs) So it inspired you to do this. And with the photography, how were you able to situate things? Because you said it was difficult, sort of. And I I did cheat and read the little article that you link on your website, which I will link in the notes. Don't worry, folks. Okay. So what inspired you, for example, to use the dog as your strength (laughs) card? Okay, well, there weren't too many lions about. Well, yes. And uh, the woman was perfect. If you look at the line drawing of the weight card, she's sort of stocky. She had curly hair, a little androgynous. Mm-hmm. Just, And she had this lion that she was taming. Well, this particular woman was there, and she had these white dogs, and she lived in the dye shed. She was quite a character, and she would every now and then dye her dogs indigo blue, and it was wild in those days. At any rate, I knew she would be cooperative, and so she was about the right size, and the dog was as close to a line as I was going to get. So I I did that, and I took other liberties. The uh, magician, instead of holding a torch to the sky, is holding a clump of daylilies mm. that are flaming and flaring out. And, and there were, you know, there were other things like that. But I really did hang my brother. And that was, that was something, to get the hanged man, to have the expression on his face look right and the gravity and the weight and everything. I really, I couldn't just stage that flat on the ground and flip it around or anything like that. We hung him up. And he voluntarily said yes, it sounds like. Yeah, my family's pretty great, i got to say. They're in a lot of the cards. My father's the emperor. My mother's the empress. I have two brothers, two sisters. They all appear. And various, like I said, artist friends appear as models. But without my family sort of filling in a lot of the spaces, I, I wouldn't have been able to finish the deck. My husband's the king of pentacles, and I think he's in a couple of other cards as well. So he balances you because you being the queen of pentacles, that's kind of that's a right. nice, happy right. balance right there. Yeah. And I hadn't even met him at that point, but soon, soon thereafter I did. So it worked out. So it's been a long time. How many editions of this have you printed? Well, the first one was made over five years time. It was really not an obsession of mine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was 
committed to doing it because I stuck it out, but I couldn't do it full time. I was teaching and there were many reasons that I couldn't always get a card that I wanted. I'd have, as I said, you can't just, if you need an eagle, you can't just wait till one lands in front of you. I had to go to a natural history museum to find an eagle. So there's a certain amount of time between images. There's an image in the swords where there's two women in a boat, in a boatman, and I needed a boat and my two sisters and my brother-in-law, and I had to wait till I went to Florida to stage that particular shot. So it was over time of about five years. Mm-hmm. And gradually, though, as I was making them, I was printing them up and I was hand coloring them. And my photography in those days also involved uh, sewing photographs on a sewing machine, which is a little bizarre, but if you look at my work, you'll understand And so I would encase these hand-colored photographs between two sheets of frosted mylar so that people could handle them and they wouldn't get ruined. And I made um, probably 30 or 40 cards like that and and started showing them around. And everyone said, oh, I want one, I want one. And so I finished the complete 78-card stitched hand-colored deck within that first five years. And that deck is now at the Beinecke uh, Library at Yale, as are all the black and white photographs from which the first offset deck was made. So the Beinecke is rich with not just my deck, but many decks. It's Mm -hmm. one of the premier card collections in the world. So they have that deck. And the partial deck that I made is at San Francisco MoMA. Yeah. In action. So there's two opposite coasts where you can see those particular cards, but they're unique. Okay. So around 1975, I thought, well, I, I will try to make a deck, but I didn't, I didn't know enough about printing at that point. I was a novice and it took me publishing a few books, uh, small books, which today we would call zines, but back then that's not what they were called. Yeah. But it was offset printing, and I learned enough about printing to know I was way in over my head to think I could print a card deck modestly. I was going to have to really go to a proper printer and plunk down some money, and I made a 1,000 offset decks. When I I was in Rochester, New York by that point, they printed the 1,000 press sheets for me. It was more than that. I mean, obviously, you have to have one for every suit, but a thousand decks, and they cut them up, and that was it. I got the cut-up cards, which I then had to collate, and a stack in a corner rounding kind of machine that I had, and I rounded the corners, and then I had commissioned paper boxes to be made especially for the deck. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen one. I'll hold it up so you can see it. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is the first edition. I only have two of these right now. And they sell for three grand. But Mm -hmm. now they used to sell for $10. Amazing investment. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I glued the labels on all the boxes, collated them, rounded the corners, and then sold them, gave them away. And it was pretty well gone by the end of the 70s. There were no more of that first edition. Mm Mm-hmm. And its aspect ratio is sort of short and squatty. It's a four by five inch Mm -hmm. deck. That's because photographers in those days thought that way. They thought eight by 10, 16, 20, four by five. There were certain kind of set patterns Mm -hmm. in it. 
it seemed to me that was the easiest way to print it and so forth. It's a, an awkward size for tarot readings, I guess, because it's so short and fat and wide. But It makes it unique. Yes, I made those. Now you see all kinds. There's circles and everything, but... And I pretty much forgot about it or, you know, just went on to other things. And so it was years later, literally years later, that we had something called the Internet and email and things like that. And I started to get inquiries about my tarot card deck. Not only that, but I believe eBay came about. And I looked it up on eBay at that point and I thought, Good grief, this this thing is selling for big bucks. At that point it was three or four hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. I thought, well darn it, I should you know, I should make another one. So I had a lot more expertise and background at that point in printing. So I made the second deck, which was published in the same quantity, about a about a thousand, yeah. Roughly. When I said a thousand, actually the first one, they were really only about nine hundred, eight Fifty nine hundred because there were some mistakes on the cards and they just never. If you if you don't have one card, you don't have a deck. Mm-hmm. So I would have to throw those out. So it's really rarer than that. But the second one, I did get the full thousand, and this is what it looks like, and it's a little narrower. Yeah, it's a little more card shaped. It's what what a tarot person's used to. That's right, and but it was also predetermined in a sense. By my ability to get boxes online, Mm -hmm. they were handkerchief boxes. Oh, okay. They were pre-made, and therefore I could get a 100 or a 1,000 of them Mm -hmm. pre-made, not have to put up the big bucks to have a custom box made. I still glued the labels on them. Right. So anybody who says they can't do this, keep listening. You you can do this. There's way. It's even easier now. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is the card, and the back of it, my son designed the back. Oh, wow. And it also, however, is um, monochromatic. It's, mm-hmm. it's, there's a color for swords. There's a color for cups and so forth. That has to do with economics. If you're printing on a press and you print four color, it's four times the money, the time, the expertise, the registration, all of that. There's no way... I could have afforded mm-hmm. these first two decks to have full color. So the second deck also is monochromatic. Pretty much this, I stick to the same palette. But what I am able to do, because by now there is Photoshop, mm-hmm. there is a computer out there, I can take a card and fix it up a little bit, manipulate it a little, take away, oh, I don't know, something that was annoying to me. In the original deck, which was very difficult to get rid of in the darkroom. But now I was working with Photoshop on the computer. I also, because this was done in 2001, had grown children. Mm-hmm. And they were about the same age I was when I started the deck originally. So I used them as models, put them in there with their grandparents and the rest of the family. And my son is the page of swords and my daughter's the Page of Wands, because pages can be, you know, either way, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I guess today we would call them a they, or them, or something. At any rate, pages. So, they both got to be in it. Oh. Which, very cool. Uh, I think I may have reshot a few other images. Not much, though. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much the same cast of characters, dolled up a little bit, with Photoshop, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that one came and went. Also, thousand 
came and went. Mm-hmm. And I was still getting interest in it. And I, I thought, well, there's no way I'm going to do that again. Because, again, I collated these things. And they are slippery when you're trying to collate <laughs> that many in one handful. You know, you're walking down a row of cards in one mistake, and they all explode out of your hands. And you don't know where you are and how many you have. It's really a, a lot of work. Sometimes I think on that deck I, I would enlist students who wanted to help in, in exchange for a deck. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I got those two done. And then I heard about print-on-demand. Mm. This is what your friends that need to listen up if they want to make a deck. There's a many card-making companies out there online. They are so far mostly located in China. I happen to use one called Printer's Studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, I can't remember the names of the other two. There's two or three others that I've since discovered. So there, what you do is you go online, and anyway, here they're narrow. They're mm-hmm. terror-sized. They're terror-sized, yeah. They're, they literally look more like tarot cards. They are full color, or they can be, because it's digital offset printing on cardstock. Mm-hmm. All the work is done for you, essentially. If you have the expertise, which I do, to provide the files in the format that they want, there's a bit of a learning curve involved but a lot of people do these things nowadays it's not that hard you make the images and then you download them at their site and you tell them what you want on the front what you want on the back and it's an order and you can get just one i mean you don't have to order more than one the shipping will kill you but you know (laughs) you can still just make one and then the next time if you change your mind or somebody falls out of favor, you can pull them out and put somebody else in. You could customize the deck mm-hmm. and time make it slightly different. So is that what you did with this third edition then? Did you change yeah, it up a bit more too? I changed it up a bit too much, I think, in some ways for my, well, I don't know, regret's too strong a word, but I got carried away with the potential of color, mm-hmm. the fact that I could use color. And I photoshopped some things out that I think, in retrospect, uh, I'm going to leave this as it is. It'll be this third edition, but then I'm going to go back and redo it another deck. Mm -hmm. I'm planning to try to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the first deck beginning, Mm -hmm. which technically was quite a while ago. That's okay. Yeah, I mean, close to 50 years, not quite the full 50. I'm going to redo it. Mm-hmm. And try to stick as close to the sort of vintage, retro 70s look as I can. I'm going to have a lot of difficulty. I already have had a lot of difficulty trying to find a place to make it four by five without them having to set their equipment up, especially and do a lot of very expensive sort of moderation or alterations. And I don't know that the customer base is going to be willing to to pay what that would cost mm. to just have it four by five. So it's probably going to be a little squattier than a regular tarot deck, but not the full four by five. And this all has to do with aspect ratio. Of course. The way, the way I see it happening, it'll, it'll be a little bit trimmed off the sides, but it will look distinctly different than the third edition. And I still haven't decided yet whether I'm going to hand color it like the absolute first deck, the one that they have at the Beinecke that was Mm -hmm. one of a kind, or make it monochromatic like the first edition deck. I, I, you know, I'll decide eventually and 
you'll know all about it. Whatever inspires in that. Yeah, whatever I decide. Yeah, it is so easy to hand color. And it's, it's quite wonderful, actually, to have that available. Again, people that want to design or print decks, there's, you know, there's economic considerations. Anytime you've made something using offset, the more you made, the cheaper the unit cost. Of course, be. of course. And with digital printing, it stays the same. One, two, doesn't matter. Right. But again, it's still one of those things of, okay, how much money are you willing to put into it? How much money are you going to get back? And what is that balance for yourself as the person who's doing this creation? That's right. Right. I mean, a lot of the legwork has been done. It would be a fair amount of time to get the scans back in the computer and do that. And I'm working on that bit right now, but I've got other projects I'm doing as well. So what are some of the other projects that you're doing just out of curiosity? Cause I know okay. that this is your passion is photography. Yeah. Well, the thing that I've been doing the most recently, maybe the last eight years is I photograph people's last names that I find in graveyards hmm. on headstones, just the last name that are nouns and verbs and adjectives. And you would be amazed how many names fall into that category, how many I have found. Over 6,000. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I do that with my cell phone camera. And then I write poetry with the names. They look sort of like refrigerator magnets. If you can imagine, you know, lots of little words strung in lines. Yes. And then I make books of poetry. The first one I did was called Stone Cipher, which was the Four Seasons. Mm-hmm. And then I did one called Hawk Dove, which were two binary poems, one about war and one about peace, just using veterans' headstones, oh, wow. just the last names of veterans. And then I did one that was a box set of four, the four cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west. And it was American history written in family last names. It's pretty amazing. And then... I took a bit of a break from that, and I went back to the card decks again. Mm -hmm. I made a whole, probably eight different card decks that use both sides of the card, which implies two sides to a story. So the first three decks I did were called Stone Turners, and they were uh, antonyms. So you have the bald family, and you have the furry family. You have the polite family and the rude family. These are real last names. Yeah. The, lights, the Rudes. Oh, I don't know. You'd have to. They're all on my website. If you go to the website to the side bar, there's something called Gravestone Cards. Mm-hmm. There's also one Graveyard uh, Book Projects or something. And most of that's pretty well represented. After that break, I got geared up to write Dante's Inferno. And I wrote Dante Enters Hell. And I wrote the nine circles, the whole journey mm-hmm. from going through the gates of hell and all the way down and back up and out with a name like Beatrice, you know, what do you expect? And then I didn't finish with what I was going to tell you about the card decks. There were homonyms also, mm-hmm. two decks, one called the Right Right card deck, W-R-I-T-E and R-I-G-H-T, the Right Right card deck, and the Old Old card deck. I mean, it's hard to learn to spell and write English. Yes. And these names, you know, it's kind of funny. I think they'd be great for English as second language classes. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. one called the Famous Pair, 
So I've got Fred and Ginger and Itchy and Scratchy and Click and Clack and Salt and Pepper and Dante and Beatrice. And, you know, it's just fun to guess what they are. And then there was, oh, there's one just called Working Class because a lot of people are named for what they do. Mm-hmm. So you might have the Burner family and the Burner family burns. So Burner burns, uh, you know, Chopper chops, whatever. And I walk a lot looking for these and I've gone all over the country. Uh, and Europe, actually, a little bit in Europe. But it's hard to find the useful names in foreign languages. Although, oh. you know, a lot of French words we use. So That's I have a few in France that, that I could use. Uh, sachet, for example. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. Sachet and walk. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I almost, I won one last one. The one sure I just, does. which Tara people probably know the the myth of Persephone. Mm-hmm. I just finished that, and actually that's what I'm doing, I have been doing recently, is binding what I call the deluxe edition, and then I have a paperback version, which I'll soon put online once I get the deluxe version finished, mm-hmm. and it's called Spring's Victory, Corey Comes Back. Corey is an alternate name for Persephone. Yes. I found Jupiter. Jupiter's buried in Illinois, of all places. Jupiter. Wow, all right. <laughs> who, who knew? Uh, Hades, um, Jupiter, Hermes, Demeter, you know, all those people, last names. That's amazing. It's just yeah, that people are surprising to say, well, no, those are not, you know, that's the ancient world. No. 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 no, the names are still there. I think, you know, with a last name like Nettles, I got teased a lot as a kid. Mm. And uh, now I'm glad I have that as a name, but nettles is a plant and it's also a verb. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of words, my mother was an English teacher also. So I, I'm fascinated and being from the South also, there's lots of storytelling that goes on down there. So I'm fascinated by words and poetry and language as well as images. So this mm-hmm. combines both those interests of mine in a way that's kind of, really obsessive. Well, it also sounds like dealing with the Oracle and sort of thing. It feels a little bit like these other decks that you've got could be also used in conjunction with tarot or as an Oracle deck on their own. Yeah, perhaps they could. Because that is a thing that people do. And it sounds fascinating. I look forward to being able to explore those as well. Definitely look at Persephone because that's a good one, but it's not, it's not online. Not yet. So had you ever considered how your decks could be possibly used as oracle cards and maybe combined with the Mountain Dream Tarot that you already have? They could, maybe. I have a passion for card decks and card games, I always have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess the, the tarot deck was my first card deck, but I did others. I did a children's card game called Swamp Lady, mm-hmm. and uh, these these gravestone card decks. and um, The Swamp Lady game? Yes. It was a children's card deck, which I actually ran the press on that myself, so there were only about 100 of those made, but mm-hmm. it was a version of Old Maid, except that instead of the Old Maid, there was a Swamp Lady, who was me. I always hated the stereotypical kind of way that people were pictured and teased and mm-hmm. you know, made and so it was an alternate view of that that I made in I think in the 70s and and then I did a deck called Eager which is pictures of what beavers do to trees it was just a card deck full of these 
wonderful sculptures that they make out of the trees along the bank of the river that I take walks by sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I know. The other one I did, which I'm sure it's on my website, it's called 28 Days, and it's the menstruation card deck. Oh, wow. It's pretty funny. <laughs> it's pretty interesting, actually. Yeah, it sounds very um, empowering. Yeah, it's very. It's meant to be empowering and somewhat humorous and witty and not depressing. It, 28 Days. I made that when my daughter was turning about 13, and I thought, I think this is something I want to deal with. The challenge there was how do you represent visually, because it is primarily visual. Mm -hmm. There's a little text like day one, day two, that sort of thing. But how do you represent something that is a sequence? It's actually a spiral. You don't get back to the same point. You get back to more or less the same point, but you're a, you're a month older. Mm -hmm. And how do you represent that in, in book form or visual form? And I came up with the idea of a card deck because you look at card one and then you put it to the back of the deck and then you get two, three and so forth. And when you finish card 28 and you move it to the back, you're back at day one mm -hmm. of the cycle. So that worked really well. Mm -hmm. And you should have a look at that if you... If you can't find it, let me know. I'll make sure you get it. Oh, yeah, that would be great to see how that... Yeah, I used to sell a lot of those after lectures until I went through menopause. and It was not my topic anymore. I wasn't very interested in that subject, but no, I mean, it's but... a long-distant past. But at that point, it was a you know major part of my uh, life. Yeah. Well, and I think as women, that's something that we all can connect with. We've all gone through that cycle. We know... Yeah what that is all about. And I think that that would be a good way to... Pretty much kept invisible and not talked about. So that's why I thought I would do this card deck to see if it could open up sort of a humorous and fun way to approach it. And I did find that it did. People weren't too... You know, even the guys didn't squirm too much. If I would bring it out and explain, you know, the way I thought it functioned, first of all, and then it just sort of opened up surprising discussions sometimes i think sometimes men want to talk about stuff and they don't get a chance to mm -hmm. and this is clearly a good way to get that conversation started it sounds yeah, like. exactly exactly so that was always either best viewed held in, in hand or i had a couple of sort of celebrations where we lay it around a complete circular table and people could walk around it so there was no start and no end to it mm -hmm. to the visual cycle and I thought that was also important I am a photographer but I also have always made books and, mm -hmm. and like the book form the card deck form uh, and so forth to use to express ideas especially things that function better I think on an intimate level yeah your distance and level and also being tactically uh, dealt with, not nice. just work on the wall. Well, and then I noticed that when someone, the Dangerous Minds website, yeah. started discussing your deck last year, they seem to have found, it looks like one of the originals from based on this conversation that we've had. How did that feel to be brought back to this deck that you'd created? Well, it, it was cool. I mean, that that's the deck that it, MoMA has, San mm -hmm. Francisco MoMA. And they happened, whoever they, the they is, must have seen it or seen the site. MoMA did a very nice job of replicating 
the cards that they own. Mm-hmm. And that was being shown in a show called The Good 70s that had pieces of artists from MoMA's collection that were active during the 70s brought together and shown in conjunction with a, another person's one-person show that was was there at MoMA. Mm-hmm. It, was fun. it was a fun show. I actually got out there and enjoyed seeing that. He had he I think it's a he has a quite a following obviously because the orders spiked quite a bit after that thing hit. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can imagine. But ever since the internet and I had a, the tarot deck online, I mean it it's constantly things happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess I didn't tell you about Bruce Springsteen using the Three of Swords. I don't know if you knew that story. No, go please share. Okay, here's another one. This was uh, pretty crazy. I had someone connect with me, a young woman who wanted to reproduce some of the tarot cards in a magazine down in Australia. And I thought, sure, go ahead, knock yourself out. You know, here's permission. Go ahead, do it. And I, I was thinking it was probably a young literary magazine or, you know, some obscure thing. It turned out it was a very glossy, very hip, beautiful magazine called Doing Bird, which looks sort of like Vogue mm-hmm. magazine. And in it, they just ran one card per page, like a 12-page spread mm-hmm. on my cards. Yeah, also in that same issue were images by a British singer, uh, Bat for Lashes. Uh, her name is Natasha Khan. Mm-hmm. She's a big tarot fan as well, so we connected through that. But it was maybe a month or so later, I got an email from Sony and it said seeking permission to use or something like seeking permission or something. And I, um, I almost deleted it because I, I was pretty sure they were just trying to sell me a Walkman or something something like that. Right. (laughs) But I opened it and it said, we are looking for the rights, the permission to reproduce the three of swords on an new release and I, I thought well okay that's interesting and I I called a friend in New York because I'm not a commercial photographer I've done a little bit of commercial work but not that much and you know got an estimate of this what I should ask and, and I said okay yes you can do it for this and, you know this is how it'll work and they got back to me this, the day after and said great we're going to use it on Bruce Springsteen's magic that was just when Obama was running for president. Right. Magic came out, and it was a really great choice of image. It became the disc icon mm-hmm. on the actual CD that was printed on there. Tiny little heart with the swords in it. Mm-hmm. But it, a good sign when an artist will hire another artist. Mm-hmm. Um, he himself, I hear, is a photographer, and I think he has a child. One of his kids is a photographer. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, could have just picked any, anything, but they actually paid me pretty good money to, to use my three of swords. And that traveled for a couple of years. They also bought rights to use it on messenger bags and sweatshirts mm-hmm. and shot glasses and hats and things like that. Pretty, You know, I didn't get a commission. It was just a one-time fee. And people kept saying, oh, you should meet him. You should meet him. And I said, oh, well, you know, well, I, mi- I missed the, when he was out this way, I didn't, you know, whatever. I didn't get to Chicago. And they said, you should do it. And I, so I finally got through the bureaucracy and got through to New York, to somebody in New York that would 
had the authority to get me backstage passes at the Giants Stadium. I think that's the right stadium. It's the one in New Jersey that mm-hmm. they demolished. Anyway, it was his last, second-to-last performance. And I went. And I got backstage. And I actually, uh, if you hang on, I'll show you the photos right here on the wall. Hang on. Sure. We, of course, listeners cannot see this, but I get to. <laughs> And there, you can see it if you go to YouTube. Oh, if you go to YouTube, okay. Enter my name, and it says B Metals and Bruce Springsteen. Wow, tarot connection. So there he is backstage. There I am wearing my the shirt, shirt. With, yeah, with the the heart, the three swords, and he was very nice. And that's what the video will tell you if you go watch it. But <laughs> of course, everyone was in awe of me for my fifteen minutes of fame there. That was pretty cool. Well, and getting to meet someone who actually appreciates your work, whose work yeah. you appreciate, is really nice, too. Uh, it was great. And we joked about it a little bit. I said, you know, <clears throat> and that's what he's actually doing in the photo. He's he's pulling up his sleeve to show his forearm. And uh, we're joking because um, I said people were emailing me for permission to use it as a tattoo. Mm. And I said, sure, knock yourself out, go ahead. I'm not going to send you a, a JPEG or anything. You just have to go to a tattoo parlor or something and have right. to do the best. But I wasn't that dumb because I figured it'd be in every tattoo parlor across the country if I did that. Yes, definitely. Um, but at any rate, he said, oh, you know, that's nothing. He said, wait Wait till you see your face tattooed on somebody, which, of course, happens to him all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Anyway, he was showing me how a fan in Amsterdam or someone had stuck their arm up on stage with that tattoo on it. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. So there's the tarot on human skin. Yeah. Yeah. And I could go on and on with stories. It's been, it's been, it was one of those projects where it's like it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to go down in history for doing because I've done an awful lot of other things in the past 50 years, but it, it was most likely the first photographic tarot card ever done mm-hmm. in, in the world. And so, therefore, it is historically quite significant. And getting back to how it was done all those years ago, I had the expertise um, because of my photo background and yeah. training and attitude towards photography, which was cut negatives superimpose negatives, do whatever you want with negatives. I was not what you would call in those days a straight photographer. Right. Afraid to crop. I would do things. I had been shown how to do things Mm -hmm. uh, in the dark room at the University of Florida. So I knew. Yeah. You had to do it. Well, and, and, and clearly the deck shows that you have the expertise. And again, it's still popular to this day. So therefore, clearly it's, it's something that touches people. Well, I think you know some of it. It's real people. Yes. It, it is real people, and that's saying something. And then also, there's this. There is this sort of unmistakable '70s nostalgic feel, at least mm-hmm. in quite a few of the cards for those hippie hippie type years. And guys, when you go into the links, you'll see if you go through the Dangerous Minds article which I've been doing as we've been talking, you can see some of the images and how they are done and the light and the color that come through. It's, it's really quite amazing. 
And it looks like they didn't include your queen. They did include the four of pentacles. I was just trying to see if they'd included your queen. They probably don't own it. They showed what they owned. The deal with that deck was that was a sample pack Mm -hmm. that I made at that point in time. My husband was driving across the country showing photographic books to different book buyers Mm -hmm. and, and also getting into rare book libraries and so forth. And so I said, here, take this as a sample. And he was on the road for a while and and I must've made the whole deck. And so there were a couple doubles. In other words, if you, if you see one there, the same one obviously exists in at the Beinecke, but it would be slightly different because it would be hand colored differently. Right. But the San Francisco moment does not have a complete deck. I forget how many there actually are, maybe 15 or 20. Well, somebody has taken and laid them all out, though, because that's the one thing I did find in the article. The individual image of you is not there as the Queen of Pentacles. But if you go through the article at the very end, they've got the full sets. And if we click on the Pentacles, we can see you in your dress. That's That's what I was wanting people to go do and take a look. It's quite beautiful. 23 years old. (laughs) Yeah, who would have guessed? Well, this has been lovely chatting. Thank you so much for taking time out from your day. I know it's the day after the time change, and everybody's kind of doing the whole waking up and not being awake. And oh my hey, goodness, it's an, an hour earlier. Yeah, we got an extra hour, right? And yet, right. Ada, so that's what we did with it. Not bad. Not bad. Well, thank <laughs> you so much again for chatting and being on Tarot Visions. Thank you, listeners, for all your support. Thank you, Mike Charbonneau, for all the edits that you do for us. We look forward to chatting again next time. Thank you for listening to Tarot Visions, a podcast for the modern oracle. To keep the conversation going, please find us on Facebook at Tarot Visions US or follow us on Twitter at Tarot underscore Visions.